The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody. It is Friday, August 5th. 2022 and it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the MMA fighting Twitter spaces you'll hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA podcasting network hope you're all having a great Friday I am Mike Heck I am having an interesting Friday I had a very interesting Thursday and you may have seen that on the MMA fighting YouTube channel and on MMAfighting.com a brand new interview with one Jorge Gamebred Masvidal has dropped. Uh, I got to speak with him yesterday. In fact, I got to speak with him multiple times yesterday. And yesterday was just a whirlwind of a day. We, I'll talk about this later. I want to get to the peeps because this is a free-for-all Friday. We're just going to go to you guys. I will do story time with Uncle Mike in a little bit. If someone in the next 15 or 20 minutes like, yeah, just tell the damn story, then I'll just tell the damn story. But... If not, and you want to talk about other things, I'll tell it later because this is your show. It's the people's show. This is the MMA equivalent of your hometown sports talk radio show. So let's go. Let's do the damn thing, and then we'll save story time for a minute down the road. Let's go to Zach Left to kick us off, to get us started. What's up, man? What's up, Mike? How are you doing this Friday? Hope all is well. Um, so I got a few quick ones for you. Um First contender series on Tuesday was fantastic. And before the contender was started, I was thinking about this in general. Is uh, one of your favorites, uh, Danny Sabatello, a, the one fighter that Dana White will regret signing um, over the first four or five seasons there was uh, in the contender. Uh, just his fight wasn't the most interesting on the show, but he's proven definitely to be an interesting guy uh, moving forward with Bellator. Um, a couple other quick ones. Um, I saw Mateus Nikolau has a fight against Matt Schnell, potentially. That guy, a resume since coming back to the UFC, is very underrated. He seems to be the least talked about potential contender in that flyweight division. I know his fights haven't been the most exciting, but a guy that maybe we've got to watch out for if he picks up another win here. And then lastly, we have Charles Oliveira, Islam Makachev at UFC uh, 280. And my question is, we've been talking a lot about, you know, if Charles wins, he's probably going to counter fight and everything like that. And that's probably a reason why he decided to go to Abu Dhabi. 
Is there also a chance, though, that maybe, you know, he's on this great winning streak and everything, that if he does lose to Islam, that because of this great winning streak and everything, that he maybe can get an immediate rematch, you know, in comparison to some other guys in title fights that maybe don't have the resume that he has that have gotten immediate rematches in the past. Uh, thanks, Mike, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks, man. So I'll address the contender series question. Yeah, Sabatello was interesting. I mean, the guy went out there and like 30 20 forward his opponent. On I, I know one judge scored at 30 24. I'm not sure if multiple judges scored at 30 24, but Danny just went out there and Danny Sapatello, the guy on the contender series. And it was as dominant of a win as you'll see on that show that goes the distance. And then Danny cut a good promo after, and we've seen what he's become. So I don't know if like Dana regrets it right now, but. I would say at some point Dan is going to be like, ah, Dan, like he would have been a lot of fun to have, especially in this Bantamweight division. Seeing Sabatello matched up with a lot of these guys would just be really interesting to watch. I am super stoked to watch him fight Rafion Stotts, though. I think that's a really interesting fight. I think a lot of people just feel like Sabatello has no chance to win that fight. I think he's got a great chance. I'm not taking anything away from Stotts, but Sabatello... Sabatello's striking is a little bit better. It's 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 improving. It's not great. Stotts is clearly the better striker, but Sabatello's wrestling, his top control, it's just unbelievable. And I don't think Leandro Ego is ready for that. And most people feel like, hey, he's a one-trick pony. And I could just prepare to not be taken down. It's a whole different thing. To prepare not be taken down, but this guy can shoot from across the cage and find a way to get you on the mat. He just needs to grab a whole, like a knee, an ankle, a hair on your leg. He will grab it, yank it, and get you to the ground. It's just wild. And then once he gets you down, you're there for the rest of the round, unless he makes a mistake, which he made in the ego fight. But other than that, he was just able to control a guy like Ego, who's really good on the ground for 25 minutes, probably like 23 minutes, but. I don't think Dana regrets it, but I think he's he's one of those guys that, like, in a couple of years, especially if he wins this Grand Prix, and it, he's got a good chance to do it with that style he has. may not be the most crowd-pleasing, but he's got a chance to do it. And if he wins the title, I think Bellator is going to be like, eh. I mean, Dana White's going to be like, ah, oh, he would have been a, kind of a cool guy to have. But I don't think there's going to be any regrets or regrets or anything like that. Nikolaus Goodman, I think AK, who's in there here, will agree with me. He's uh, he's a dark horse. He is the literal definition of a dark horse in this division. So he's definitely one to, to, to watch out for. The match and fight should be a lot of fun. All flyaway fights are fun. I would be stunned if that fight goes the distance. Probably will not. It should be a good one. And then if Islam beats Oliveira, I think Oliveira would have to be the biggest Matush Gamrot fan on the face of the earth. Because I think if Gamrot won, I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think if Gamrot won and the fight between Oliver and Makachev is close, like if it goes in the distance, it's a close decision, especially if it's a split decision, if it's something we're talking about, that it was a robbery or potential robbery, I think they'll go back to that. But if Islam wins, I think the front runner is going to be Volkanovsky. I don't think Connor will be even in the discussion if, if Makachev wins. And then if Darius beats Gamrot, he kind of jumps ahead. So it's really murky. But if Oliveira wins, I think we get the Connor fight. If Islam wins, my money would be on the Volkanovski fight. But we'll see what happens. This is a weird business. And that's how it works.
Let's go to Steven Ramirez. Steven, are you there? Hey, how you doing, Mike? What's up, hey, buddy? So I got a couple of things between the lightweight and also the welterweight. So number one, we have obviously Oliver and Michael Chef. They're going in. Now, Uncle Chell <laughs> said, Wokonowski needs to be more vocal. And I agree with Chell where he says that he should step in and be the backup fighter for that fallout. So he could fight for the 155 belt. I think that would be a great option. Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Another thing, now you have Chandler versus Poirier officially announced. They never announced the weight class. They both discussed going to welterweight, 170. So is this officially going to be in the lightweight, or it will be very interesting if they bump it up to 170? Just want to check your thoughts. It's a good question. Uh, I would assume they're going to do it at 55, but, I mean, if they do it at 170, who cares, honestly? I would rather them do it at 170, because then we're going to get two guys at their best that didn't have to cut a ridiculous amount of weight I'd be fine if they did it at 170. Like, what's the difference? Brian Kelleher made a made a pandemic out of fighting at 145. Just fighting Bantamweights at 145. Like, he was sort of the the flag bearer for, for doing that. And no one complained. No one was like, oh, we're, we're going to take away Kelleher's win because it was at featherweight. He beat Hunter Azure at featherweight. So that doesn't count as a Bantamweight win. No, a lot of us, like, we all considered it to be a freaking Bantamweight win. So I have no issue if they do it at 170. I would actually prefer it at 170. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I would. I'd rather them do do that. Who the hell cares? But that's how I would do it. And then the Volkanovski thing. I just don't know if he can be the backup because he's hurt. He's got broken hands. Hands all jacked up. Said he's gonna be out for twelve weeks. I assume he's gonna be like on the sidelines for twelve weeks. I don't think that means he's like out of fighting for twelve weeks. Like he can come back and fight in twelve weeks. I doubt it. So. Maybe we see Volkanovski at the end of the year. I don't think he will be the backup unless he is just a miracle healer. And if anybody could be a, mi a miracle healer, it's probably that guy. Um, so I'm probably... And something tells me Darius is probably are kind of slotted in as the backup. Like, if he's taking this fight with Matush Gamrod, I'm sure part of the negotiations, I'm sure part of Darius saying, yeah, I'm in, is that he's the backup if something were to happen. So that'd be my guess. I don't think maybe Volkanovski will just like be there in attendance, like sitting in the crowd, but I don't think he's going to be focusing on cutting weight and preparing to fight either of those guys because he's hurt. Let's go to Toke. Hi, Toke. My Greg got tweeting. Um, <laughs> so this deal that you think was set in place, I know you, this was a theory of yours more than anything else, but that deal that Charles Oliveira took for going to Abu Dhabi and defending against Islamakhchev might, <laughs> if we are to believe Connor's tweets, which we are not, but you know, if we believe him, then that deal falls off. So that leaves a quite odd situation where there's no the most obvious one if Charles Oliveira wins is if Vinil Darius wins but other than that it's 
actually quite barren at the top. So that leaves kind of leaves Volkanovski open to get in there. I want just want to hear if uh, that's what you think will happen early 2023. And then the Dustin uh, Poirier versus Chandler matchup. Is that another MSG non-title main event? Or are we actually getting a title on the top of that card, do you think? Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, Connor saying he's retired is like me saying I'm going to go get coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. It happens every day. It happens all the time. And it's something to be expected when we wake up in the morning. That's basically how it should be. Uh, and then he unretired like an hour later. MMA was fun, and then he became Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator like an hour later. So I don't think he's out of play at all. I just think this is Connor being Connor. This is sort of, I mean, he, he's made a career off of this and a whole bunch of money of why isn't anybody talking about me right now? So I'll give him something to talk about. I'll say I'm retiring. And then I'll unretire after they talk about me. So maybe they talk about me some more. Like they probably said. He probably saw the video of John Jones like training bare knuckle with Brendan Gibson, I believe it was, and saw the reaction I was getting. He was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Do you know who I am? And here we are talking about it right now. So I don't think it changes anything. We'll see. It, it, the, only thing that, the only thing that could hold it up in some way is if Connor doesn't fight again. Like, let's just say like that leg is not healing as as quickly as we think. And he can't fight to like May or June. That will probably get Volkanovsky to the top of the list, if we're being honest. But I still think if Oliveira wins, Connor's going to get the fight. I think it's just kind of the scratch your back, you scratch ours kind of thing. And I don't think Chandler or Poirier will headline MSG. And we don't even, by the way, we don't even know if it's happening in MSG yet. There's, you've seen the reports. I know we have, we have talked about this as well. I talked about this on the show uh, on Tuesday or yesterday. I don't, yeah, I think it was yesterday. Um, the fight has been agreed upon. We don't know if it's three rounds yet. We don't know if it's five rounds yet. I know Poirier wants five rounds. We haven't really heard from Chandler on that aspect. I would doubt Chandler's going to say no to five rounds. We don't know if this is happening at MSG. I, I know the UFC wants it at MSG. It's just a matter of do both fighters want it in November? I know... One fighter wants it in December. One fighter wants it in November. I think they'll find a way to make it work either way, but it will not be the main event if it's at MSG. We, I don't know. There will be probably two title fights on that card. And like I've been saying for a while, I think Izzy Pereira will probably be the main event. We'll do Yuri, maybe Yuri Glover 2 as the co-main event. Throw Chandler Poirier in there. Five-rounder is the, the featured bout, and just we'll have some fun. Let's have some fun fights. There are Shane Burgos on that card. And just make sure Shane Burgos fights before Michael Chandler because he kind of got the big fat hose job back in November when him and Billy Q just get like no – they're like the Rodney Dangerfields of that card, like getting no damn respect because they had to follow Justin Gagey, Michael Chandler, which is just not – it's like an impossible position to be in. And they uh, – go back and watch that fight on its own. If you're bored at all over the next few days – Go back and watch Shane Burgos' Billy Q from UFC 268. Go watch it. Just by itself. Not after watching Gaethje Chandler. Just watch it by itself. And you'll be like, damn, this fight was way better than I thought it was. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Let's go to Justin. Justin, are you there? Hey, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. I just paid $4.80 for a gallon of gas in San Diego, and that is a very happy day for me because that's the lowest I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and that brings well, me good to for my you. next point. Next week's card in San Diego is so weak. What is up with that? I feel like this is probably the weakest card since home, uh, Caitlin Vieta. And it might even be weaker than that. So that's kind of disappointing. So I'm not even. Oh, eat pizza and hang out on the couch and spend whatever money and parking. Um, so that's hey. point one. Point two, I got to call out you and the MMA fighting staff a little bit. Because I've been thinking about your pound-for-pound rankings, and it reminded me of a video that I'm sure most of us saw of uh, Francis Ngannou and Charles Oliveira. And Francis Ngannou says, imagine me with his jujitsu," And that just really got me thinking. I'm thinking that there's no way a heavyweight should be in the top ten of the pound-for-pound because everyone below them is so much more skilled. And if Charles could put on 100 pounds of muscle and height, he would kill Francis. So how can you justify having two heavyweights in the pound-for-pound pound top ten? Uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, look, pound-for-pound pound is stupid. I think we can all be agree. We can all agree on this. Pound-for-pound pound is dumb. It's all due to interpretation. It's all due to different things and factors and skill sets. And one, I will say this: like one of the things I don't think about is like if Volkanovski put on a hundred pounds, would he beat Francis Agano? Because yeah, I think he would. But we don't think about that. And let's just think about Francis for a second, just to just just to play your game a little bit, just just to play like just to play the game, okay? Francis Ngannou fought a guy who everyone thought was way more skilled, not just on the feet, but if the fight went to the ground, the guy everyone thought Cyril Gon was just got a kind of style on Francis. Like the only chance Francis had to beat Cyril Gon, who is highly skilled, super well rounded, a little green but very well-rounded, pretty pretty solid skill set, top to bottom. Terrible matchup for Ngannou. A guy who knew Ngannou, trained with Ngannou. That was the whole story. We're setting Francis up to be, to be slayed by the dragon slayer named Cyril Gan. And what happened? Francis Ngannou on one damn leg dug deep and wrestled and beat that guy. 
So maybe Francis is just is better than we all think he is. And he was able to do that on one freaking knee, which is pretty freaking incredible. So yeah, pound for pound is just dumb. It's a game of inches. I think like you look at the top five, top six, you sort of mix and match any of those fighters. I'm trying to th- like, uh, I'll pull mine up real quick. Cause I have to, I always have to go back and remind myself like Volkanovsky to me. I just think like skill for skill, what he does, the last couple of performances this guy has put on. To me, what Volkanovski has done this year is clear that he's the best best guy in the world. Those two title defenses were outstanding. Perfect games. I mean, just perfect games. So I have Volkanovski, Usman, Adesanya, Francis, Charles Oliveira. That's who I have right now. Now, again, if Oliveira goes out and beats Islam, by the way, if Oliveira goes out and beats Islam, he might be number one. He might be number one. Who the hell knows? This thing changes so quickly. Most of us, it's most of us have either Volkanovsky or Usman. Jed has already talked about it. He's got Adesanya. We have one other panelist who has Adesanya. And, I, and Jed's reasoning for Adesanya makes a lot of sense too. He's like the one guy who has people talk about cleaning out divisions. Adesanya is like the one guy who, outside of fighting Pereira, because he's sort of new, Adesanya is like beat almost everybody in the top 10 at some, at, at some point. I think the only two he has is Pereira and Sean Strickland. Other than that, he's beaten everybody some twice. So he like legit has cleaned out his division. So I get that. I get that. To me, I can't put him number one because he, I can't ignore the Jan Blachowicz fight. I just can't. I just can't. Because for a while, like Pound Pound was like, well, what if this guy fought up at a different weight class? How would he do? And Adesanya went up to 205 and he lost. Like we can't reward him because if he had, if he had beaten Jan, he's everybody's number one because he's the two division champion. He went up to two hundred five and got a win. Like people would, he'd be the unanimous number one. So we would reward him for going up to two hundred five and winning, but we would not reward, but but we don't decline him at all because he lost. So to me, happy to put him number three. Happy to put him out of sunny in my top five, but I'm not. A, I can't ignore the the Jan Blahovich loss. I just can't. Um, and Ngano should be in the top five. The dude's just been bolting people. It's not just because he's a big, huge guy. Dude, what a run this guy's been on. He's just knocking everybody out. This run is incredible. Look at look at what he's done since the Derek Lewis fight. He deserves to be in that top five. Let's go to Beal. He's been waiting for a minute. We'll get to everybody. Don't you worry. Beal, how are you? Hey, Mike. What's up? Uh, so talking about, uh, the featherweight division a little bit, uh, so Yair came out and said that he does not want to fight Emmett for the number one contenders, uh, you know, thing. So, uh, that kind of throws everything off, I feel like, at featherweight. And there's a lot of good fighters there. Um, uh, like, we got, uh, Arnold Allen. And Calvin Cater, I think Calvin Cater called out Arnold Island, and I think that would be a great yep. matchup. And then the the winner of that, I think, should fight Max. Um, and then also we got Evelev and Bryce Mitchell, and I think that would be a good matchup because Evelev has called out both Arnold Allen and Bryce Mitchell. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, good talent there at Featherweight, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Mike. Have a heck of a morning. 
Thanks, man. I love the featherweight division. It is a great division. It is like low key, very, very deep. I like a lot of your suggestions. And, I, and I've said many times, like if you listen on to the next one, AK, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a million times. Arnold Allen or Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen has been a fight that the UFC has been targeting for a long time. After Cater lost to Holloway, Cater is ready to come back like in the fall, like September, October, November, December. And that was the fact that everybody wanted. The UFC offered that fight to both guys. Cater obviously accepted it. And there were many fight night cards from October to maybe December where Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen was the main event the UFC wanted. And it was offered to both guys. However, Cater was ready to go. Allen had the hand injury, so it just didn't happen. They got to the point where, because this is a big thing too, because Cater got the Giga Chikadze fight. And it was initially reported, I forget who initially reported it, but it was one of those things where it was like way too premature because there was still hope that Arnold Allen would be the guy to fight Calvin Cater. That's the fight everybody wanted. That's the direction everybody wanted to go. So when it was reported that Giga was going to fight Cater, I reached out to multiple people and they were like, no, that's not true at all. That's not what's happening here. We have plans to maybe fight this guy. So it's an option, but it's not what's happening, if that makes sense. And then they found out as time went on, Alan was going to be able to fight in January. This was kind of the best thing up. Cater loved the matchup with Giga. He went in there and did what he had to do. So it's been it's been Arnold Allen for Team Cater for well over a year now. That fight makes perfect sense. Uh, I think Allen would take that fight in a heartbeat. I love that matchup. I think I would be stunned if that's not the direction we go. And if the UFC does go to Boston at some point, especially if it happens in the first quarter of 2023, if it's a fight night, that's a great main event. Calvin Cater versus... Arnold Allen, you put Rob Font in the co-main event against one of these up-and-coming Bantamweight studs. Sick. Super sick. I love Ivloyev. Great fighter. He's he's going to be a problem. That guy's a bad dude. Bryce Mitchell's good, too. I don't know if they pair those guys up just yet because you got two solid guys, two solid hands. Maybe they do. And then we got, you can't forget about Ilya Tapori, everybody. That guy is a monster as well. Of course, he's slotted in to fight Edson Barboza in October, which I think Taporia could do very well in that fight. And it's just a good banger of a matchup anyway. So yeah, featherweight's a lot of fun right now. It's a lot of fun. All right, Tristan, then we'll go to William, and then we'll go to Fab, then we'll go to James. We're going to get to everybody today. Don't you worry. Maybe we'll get to Tristan. Because that wheel is spinning, and I don't know why. Are you there, Tristan? Yeah, yeah. Do we have you? There we go. I got you. I got you. Um, Hey, I want to. I want to talk about uh, yesterday's episode of um, Dan. um, The episode Dan. They were good on Ronda Rousey. Um, Sure. And I heard everybody's opinion, and you know, I I really think New York Rick said it correctly. The the thing about Ronda was the humility part. That, That was the tough part to take. That she wasn't able to have that humility throughout her career. You know, there was, I remember leading up to the Holly Holm fight where she was calling Holly Holm 
fake and all this other stuff where everybody knew everybody I remember everybody in the media and everybody was looking at each other like no no Holly Holm is a really nice person like you know where where is this coming from and I think I guess she was just feeding the ego and things of that nature and I'm just like that that was the tough part I think and then that's why I think a lot of people just really dumped on Rhonda and that but from hindsight, doing the reflection, we do, I do, you know, have to give a little bit slack for her, but I think she does have to take some accountability at some point. Like, and we really, she hasn't really been transparent from the interviews I've read, really, really transparent, really, really reflective, and really let people know, hey, you know, maybe I should have been this or a little bit much better with this and better with that. And I, and I think, I think people appreciate when you, when you, um, like people love the bravado and people love, um, you know, rallying a fight up and very confident and bodacious things, things of that nature. That's all one that could have sell the fight, but at the same time shows some a little bit of humility because I think that really goes a long way with people. It resonates with people a lot that everybody has their highs and everybody has their lows, but it's all about how you come back from that. And then like George St. Pierre, you know, after losing to Matt Sarah the first time, one of the things he had said that he learned from that, he learned, Humility, and then not only that, he said, "Never put anybody on the pedestal, and underestimate no one." And even even we're looking, even I'm looking here with Hamza Shamai versus Nate Diaz. Like Hamza, Hamza needs to be careful here because you're underestimating Nate Diaz, man. Do not underestimate that man. That man almost knocked out Leon Edwards, and he was getting beat the whole entire fight. And he comes about, and he comes back. He could have. Like, Nate Diaz could have won that fight if he would have not pointed at Leon and just came and just followed with a couple of shots. Fight would have been over, Nate Diaz, and this is a different story. So, you know, that's the thing about Ronda is I do have some sympathy because as well, you know, what was surrounding her, the people, like, I think Nick also said that, I think uh, New York Rick was saying that um, I think her mom never really sat down with um, Ronda and said, what if you lose? You know, how are you going to handle that? And she just couldn't handle that. Where I think she was really on, like, I'm invincible. I'm going to leave the sport undefeated. And nothing's I'm never going to lose. And not realizing, like, no, you can lose. You can lose. It's possible. You know, but no one was sitting there telling that. And when she did lose to Holly Holm, it was like the end of the world. And, and like, no one was saying, like, Rhonda, it's okay. It's okay to lose. Yes, you've lost in the biggest stage. We understand that. But it's okay. You could come back from this, and obviously, fighting um, Amanda Nunes didn't didn't do her no favors. I would if I was I would have took two years off, um, really, you know, build myself back up. Try to also like when you, with the media. I didn't like how she treated the media at that point of time too. Of let me be better with them. Let me you know have my mind clear, and maybe not fight Amanda Nunes, but fight somebody else just to build my confidence back up. And she could have came back from this. And the story would have been even great because you came back from a devastating loss. So these were certain things that I thought about reflecting around his career. Like, she was great. She was, it was unbelievable. It was exciting how she was beating these people. But at some point, you know, I just, I guess the ego was too much. And listen, I'm not saying it was all of her fault. Obviously, there was, you know, the pressures and, you know, having the mental, the mental health of trying to deal with that. You know, it's a lot. I'm not going to say it's a lot. If I was in that position, I don't know if I would handle it that well either. But I just, the humility part, that resonated with me, what New York Rick was saying throughout the whole episode. You know, and, um, you know, that that's my, my thoughts about Ronda. I think Ronda obviously impacted the sport. 
and I give her so much credit. I just wish the humility was there and not underestimating no one, you know, like GSP said, man. And yeah. I think she would have been better for it, you know. So thanks, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a good little journey we got to take uh, going back and watching the career of Ronda Rousey, and she just doesn't get enough credit. Just the way that it ended, and you know, sort of the ego and how she handled everything, and how you know she was kind of a sore loser. Let's be honest; she she, she was kind of a tough, lo- just kind of a sore loser, and that's okay. Like I, there's a lot of like I hate to lose too. If I lose a softball game, I am an angry son of a bitch. I'm pissed. So I get it. Like it, I don't have the world on my shoulder. We have like seven people who come to our softball games. You know what I mean? So yeah, man, it's, it just doesn't get enough credit. And without Ronda Rousey, we're not like, we're not watching the UFC on ESPN. We're not, we're not, we weren't watching them on Fox. I mean, well, we may have them for Fox, but we weren't, the UFC isn't where they are today without Ronda. That's a hundred percent the truth. And just going through her run was just amazing. There were certain things we didn't get to see. We didn't get to see the Chris Cyborg fight. We didn't get to see a lot of other things. And I just, it's just a fun episode. I'm not going to go through all of it, but go listen to it. It's fun. It's a good, uh, if you get like an hour drive, it's a good like back and forth kind of a show to listen to. It's me, Jed, New York Rick, AK. Um, and we just, Talked about Mount Rushmore fights and the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and just the importance of who she was and how much of a like a legit pioneer she was uh, for the company and for the sport and for women in general in sports. Let's go to James. Hey, morning, Mike. What's up, buddy? Morning. Hey, I think we did get the Chris Cyborg and uh, Ronda Rousey fight. It was just Amanda Nunes instead of Chris Cyborg. I think that's how that fight would have went. But uh, I saw something yesterday, and I know you guys didn't report on it, so if you guys didn't report on it, it's probably not true, and I probably got fooled by the internet again. But I saw that they're targeting uh, Jorge and Gilbert Burns to headline UFC 281 and then have Chandler and Poirier as the co-main event. And um, also, are you a hard taco kind of guy or a soft taco kind of kind of guy like always mike thank you for what you do have a heck of a morning and a heck of a weekend thank you thanks mike so i'm like so i like both um mike i think i'm probably more of like in my i'm getting old you know soft taco is probably the way to go i like both we eat tacos once a week in the heck household my kid loves them he's a very picky eater and if we can find something filling with some protein that he likes to eat we're going to eat the damn thing. And he likes both. I like both. Let's go. Uh, big taco fan. Big taco fan. Uh, yes, what you said was true. There's no truth to this whole Mazadal Gil Burns thing. In fact, you can hear it for yourself because I talked to Jorge Mazadal yesterday in person in Savannah, Georgia. And I'll tell you the story right now because we mentioned Mazadal. Uh, so. Mazadal and his team, they are out here in Savannah, Georgia. I'm in South Carolina. It's like a 25 to 30 minute drive to where I'm at to Savannah. And Savannah friggin' rules. It is a cool ass city. It's a little hipster. It's cool. There's stuff everywhere. The downtown is just amazing. You can walk around all the time. It's very, very cool. So they did 
So obviously Icon FC is Masvidal's MMA promotion. They're doing a, an event in Savannah tonight. And I'm going to go to that and check it out. And, and I'm excited for it. But they had their weigh-ins yesterday. Uh, and they had it at the Army Airfield in Savannah, which is really cool. Right on base. Soldiers are all in there for the weigh-ins. It was just super cool. And Masvidal's super appreciative of it. And at the end of the whole thing, like, I mean, it was probably 100 to 150 soldiers all lined up to take pictures with Mazadal. Mazadal took pictures with everybody, shook all their hands, thanked them all, signed pictures, gave tickets. Like, it was just super cool to watch. So in between the weigh-ins and that moment when all the soldiers lined up, I was able to get about eight minutes with Mazadal. And we did a good interview. Uh, it was cool. We reacted to the weigh-ins, previewed the card a little bit, and... You know, talked about Gilbert. We talked about Connor. We talked about Hamzad and Nate. We talked about a bunch of stuff. So I was pumped. I was like, I'm so glad I came out here. We were doing like virtual high fives in the MA Fighting Slack channel. I'm like, I got, I got some time at Mazadal. They were all pumped. I was pumped. And it was a good interview. So I go and I go to import said interview. And I pull it up. I'm listening to it. First 60 seconds or so, I mean, we're just, we're going. We're getting after it. And then all of a sudden I hear, and I was like, what the frig is that? And then I look at the interview, and I look at the audio levels. My XLR cable from my microphone just shit the bed. Burnt out, gone. So basically, of the nine or so minute interview I got boss at all, I got 60 seconds of audio because my XLR decided you know what would be a great time to die is when you're interviewing one of the biggest stars in the sport, face-to-face, in person. I wanted to throw up. I was furious. It was like I got punched in the stomach. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, shit, what do I do? So Mazadal's long gone. His team's long gone. Icon people are long gone. And I'm freaking out. So I shoot a message over to Mazadal's manager the wonderful Abe Kawa. And I tell him what happened. His response is, wow. And I'm like, any chance I can get a do-over? And he's like, we're staying here. Like, no promises, but, you know, this is where we're staying. So I'm, I'm like, okay. So at this time, it's like 640. And there's a Best Buy that's like 10, that's like 12 minutes away from where I'm at. So I rush over to Best Buy, get there at like 654. And I run in, I'm like, do you have any XLRs or microphones? Like, do you have anything? And they're like, no. I'm like, shit. Is there any place around here that, that has them? They're like, there's a music store that's like a half a mile away, but they close at seven. And I'm like, what's it called? And they tell me what it's called. And I get on the phone and I call them up. And I'm like, can you please not close because I'm coming over there? I'm like a half mile away. And they're like, well, get here as fast as you can. So I map it out and I have to go down a very busy street and make a U-turn to go back. So basically, I had to drive like a mile out of the way, then bang a U-turn to go back. And I get to the music store. I pull into the parking lot at 6.59. By the time I open my car door to sprint to the front door, there they have the key in the lock on the other side, getting ready to lock it. I'm like, no! And I sprint there. I'm like, please don't close, please. And they let me in. The guy was very helpful. I believe the store was called Patterson's. And I walk in, they test out the microphone. They're like, is it the microphone? Is it the cable? We find out it's the cable. I buy a new cable for like $16 or $17. 
and I get out of there. So then I'm texting back and forth with Mazda's manager. They're like, we're going to try to go to dinner or something. We'll, we'll try to get it in at some point today. And I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I am not going home without this interview because I won't be able to sleep. I'll be pissed. So I go over to the hotel and I see Mazadal and, and, and Abe and some of the, the team for Icon. They're playing cornhole. They're hanging out, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not going to bother them right now. So I just went in the lobby. There's like a little tiny like cafe in there. So I went in, grabbed a cup of coffee. I grabbed like a small little salad. And I'm just sitting there just waiting for this to happen. So then I get a text from Abe and he's like, we're going to go to this Thai restaurant. You should come meet us. I was like, okay. So I hop in my car. I go sit down, eat a little bit of food. We go to the place. I order a meal. And it's hilarious that like nobody at our table, because we had like, there's like 19 people there. So it was like two full tables. Uh, the table I was sitting at, none of us got our meals, but the other table all got their meals. So we had appetizers. It was cool. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I don't even know if this interview is going to happen. Mazadal like walked in probably like 15 minutes before the place is about to close. And then all of a sudden I get a tap on the shoulder and it's like, okay, let's do the interview now. I'm like, sweet. So I run sprint down to the parking garage and I grab my tripod and I run back to the restaurant. And by the time I walk back into the restaurant, they have kicked us all out. We, we were closing out, out with you, be gone. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Now what do I do? And Truth be told, the whole group was going on a ghost, like a ghost tour in Savannah, which started at like 11 p.m. So right at this point, it's like 1046. It's like probably a four to five minute walk. And I'm like, please just give me some time. And they're like, where do you want to do it? I'm like, I don't care. It looks like there's some light over there. So I run across the street where there's a, like a little bit of light in the middle of downtown Savannah on a sidewalk, a bunch of people looking at us. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Like, we're just an idiot. Like, street at, like, 11 o'clock at night. And people are just like, what the hell is going on here? But we got through it. Mazdal was a pro. I, I mean, I have, I've always had a lot of respect for, for those guys. But the fact that he was willing to give me that opportunity for a do-over, and I thought that this interview actually turned out better, this is fun and funny at certain points. And I just thought that was really cool. That was the first time I'd ever, I've ever had the chance to interview Mazadal. First time I've ever met him face-to-face. And it was a long-ass day, and it made it worth it. And it was just cool to – I mean, literally, like, that's all I had. So, like, there's certain points in the video interview that pissed me off because, it, like, we moved around a little bit. Mazadal took some steps forward and, like, got a little blurry at times. I'm sorry for that. But I literally was like, you have to set this thing up now and hit record and go, like, right now. Right this second, or else you're not going to get this. So that's what happened. We got it done. Kudos to those guys, and uh, I'll never forget that. So there's my crazy story. There's my crazy day. I got to do two interviews with Mazadal, and one you got to see.
And the second one took place about seven hours after the first one in the middle of the damn street, in the middle of Savannah, Georgia, in the downtown area with random people walking back and forth. It was wild. So there's my Masvidal story. Go check out that interview right now, MMA Fighting YouTube channel, or you could read some of the stuff at uh, MMAfighting.com. Good stuff. And make sure, by the way, before we get to you, William, make sure you check out uh, the Icon FC card tonight on uh, Fight Pass. It's actually going to be a really good one. There's a lot of good prospects on the card, so it should be fun. William, how are you? Good, Mr. Mike. How are you? I'm good. All right. So first and foremost, before I ask you these questions, or question, I noticed your best friend, AK Lee, was in the chat, so I don't want to be rude. Happy birthday, AK. Um, <laughs> second of all, the questions I have for you are more MMA fighting on SBN related than MMA fighting in general. Okay. First, first and foremost, the content you guys put out, amazing. There's not a whole lot that I do miss. Obviously, people get busy. Sometimes you miss a show here or there. But the one thing I noticed, what happened to Timeline? What happened to Timeline? That was one of my favorite series that you guys did leading into the pay-per-views. Um, clearly, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but I did notice that that was no longer being produced. <clears throat> so first and foremost, what happened to Timeline? And then the second question I have is E. Casey Lydon. Is he as cool in person as he is on the internet? Thanks, man. I'd love to have an answer. I asked that question myself. I just think there's just a lot of time. Like Esther, obviously the iconic voice of Esther Lynn voices those over. And she's very busy right now. She's back on the uh, on the grind. She's doing a lot of voiceover work. She's done some very big things. She's back on the the camera the fo- on the photo grind as well, doing a lot of boxing events, doing a lot of pro wrestling events. So she's she's busy. She's got a lot going on and those things take a lot of time to put together and voice properly. So I think there's something to do with that, perhaps. I don't know. I miss it, too. It's just a lot of work, and I, and I get it. And it, I don't know. I love it. It was great stuff. Um, one other thing, and I'll get back to the other, the other parts uh, in a second. But uh, one other thing, because I mentioned the Mazadal thing. The, 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 the whole thing with him and Burns is just not true. And Mazadal even says in the interview, like, I don't know when I'm coming back. I get to deal with this legal stuff. I got felonies from this Colby Covington thing. So he honestly has no idea when he's going to be able to fight. So uh, anything involving a Mazadal fight right now that is being reported or rumored or dates or anything like that, uh, ignore them. There's no truth to it whatsoever. None. None. It's wrong. And as I say, no matter where you, what you see, where you hear, where you hear it or whatever, if, it's, if you don't see it on MMAfighting.com, then it's it's not a hundred percent. It's just not. Like we're not going to report anything unless we have multiple sources, both sides, all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying anybody is wrong, but we are not going to write it or put it on our website until until we confirm it. Hundred uh, percent. Is Casey a is Casey as cool in person as he is online? Yes. Another fun story involving. I mean, it doesn't really directly involve Mazadal, but Mazadal is the main event of this card. I went, before I covered the Jacksonville pay-per-view in April, the, the most recent card that I covered was UFC 244, pre-MMA fighting at MSG in New York. And I got out there Friday, because I drove out there from Massachusetts, left my house at 3.30 in the morning, 
to drive out to make it to weigh-ins, made it in time, went to weigh-ins. We went to the ceremonial stuff, which also had the freaking rock there, which I geeked out so freaking hard for. Rock's music hits, comes out onto the stage before the the weigh-ins and tells the world that they're going to do a picture. They're going to do a movie about Mark Kerr and the smashing machine. So the freaking rock came out. I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. So, you know, 14, 15 year old Mike was just losing his mind right there. So got that. Then we had a press conference between Usman and Covington, which was just insane. And then we had the ceremonial weigh-ins for Diaz and Mazadal and the rocks there and all that stuff. So, as that's happening, right after that, this is the time when Darren Till was fighting Calvin Gastelum. And throughout the week, there was talks about, I don't even know if Darren Till can, can make it to New York in time. So there was all this stuff about, will Darren make it? Will he be able to fight Kelvin? Because he missed the media day. He missed, I think there was a press conference on Thursday. He missed all of that. But he showed up Friday, or I think like late Thursday night, weighed in Friday, and then he did... Without us, I mean, we found out at the end, he did like a, like a Q&A with the media, like in the middle of the Hulu theater. It's just us and Darren Till. So I had my camera, I had a tripod, and I set it all up. And one of the security guards from MSG just walks over my camera and knocks my tripod to the ground. Now, luckily, I caught the camera, but he knocked the tripod over and it like snapped a leg. And I was pissed. And I was like, what the Frig, dude. I didn't say that. I said something more. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, sorry. It was an accident. Didn't give a shit. So now I'm like, now what the hell am I going to do? So I go to the card on Saturday. Like, I, I, I think I talked to Jose. Yeah, I went to lunch with Jose on Saturday before the card. And Jose reached out to Casey and was like, do you have an extra tripod? And Casey actually, like, showed up to MSG. We waited in line, and he just handed me a tripod. I'd never, like, met him in person. The only time I ever, the only time I ever like ran into him or ever spoke with him was at UFC 220 in Boston. I was backstage. It was the first time I was covering like a pay per view for like a major website and was like backstage asking questions. And before one of the scrums started, I like just jumped out and asked a question. And Casey like yelled at me for he's like, whoa, 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 yeah, wait till everybody like is ready to go here, relax. And I'm like, you're right. I apologize. But yes, Casey is Casey is actually cooler. He's actually cooler in person than he is online. He's super cool online. Casey's the man, incredible teammate, and it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. He is the best in the game with the video stuff, with the production stuff. He's the best. Let's go to Brian. We got, I mean, we got deep into story time here. Brian, how are you? Good, Mike. How you doing? I have two questions here. One, uh, I wanted to touch on uh, Dana White's Contender Series, of course, because last week's was insane. Uh, however, I think this is like my favorite Dana White Contender Series coming up ever because Bo Nichols in the main event coming up uh, Tuesday, best wrestler in maybe college history. So do you think he's the type of guy that's really ready for that step or do you think they're going to try to slow play him? Like not in the same situation, but how they kind of put like Hardy on there twice and some like new guys that are newer to MMA, uh, they kind of get on there twice. And then my second question was, do you think they're going to do anything to 279? I mean, 
I know Connor cards have been bad, like Cowboys in the past, but you at least had Holly Holm and Anthony Pettis on the main card. This 279 card is awful. I love Jolton Almeida, but that, that's not going to be enough for a casual. So thanks, Mike. Hope you have a good weekend. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think, like, like I've been saying, they should probably throw another welterweight fight in there. It, it would have been a great spot for Poirier Chandler, but, I mean, I get it. Chandler, Chandler's still a little banged up from the, the Ferguson fight and all the kicks he threw and stuff like that. So that would have been a little too soon for him, it appears. But just, like, honestly, just do Wonder Boy versus – throw Wonder Boy Kevin Holland on that card. That should be the – throw those two guys in a co-main event. Let those two guys just have that spot. That's a fun fight. That's a fun-ass fight. They're just going to stand there and they're going to kick each other. And it's going to be fun. Like, the stylistic matchup is really interesting. Now, if Holland gets it to the ground, things might get a little hairy, but – I just don't know if that's what happens here. So I think that'd be like a fine spot because let's just say, let's just say one of those guys can't show. Like you could throw Holland in there. Wonder Boy is, is beloved by most. You have something there. Like if you have to do Diaz versus Holland's main event, like people are still going to watch it. Shamaya versus Holland or Shamaya versus one. Like I don't want to see Shamaya versus Wonder Boy. That's probably the one fight I don't want to see. But still, like at least you have something in place some sort of backup, some sort of incentive if something falls apart. Because if you lose that main event, you are effed and you, you're screwed. If you lose both those guys, you're probably canceling the, the whole card. Or it's going to become like a, just a ESPN fight night card of some kind. They probably need something else. I would go that route. It's safe. You got two guys who are very popular and if one of those others fall out, you could slide one of them in. Not ideal, but at least it's something. I would go that route, but I, I honestly have no clue what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do. We'll see. Let's go to Torino. Torino, what's up? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the question I have on my mind today is about my Nigerian brother, you know, and I want to ask this very pointedly. Um, so, you know, the fight is coming up between Kamaru Usman and, and Edwards. Um, I know Kamaru is, has been extremely dominant and it's really hard to look past him, you know, in a lot of fights. Um, and I also see that even going into the Edward fight, the conversation is really about uh, how is he going to beat him, not really what Edward is going to do. So I think my question really is, do you see a threat there? Because uh, um, I go into every fight with Kamaru thinking that, you know, this is going to be, uh, this, he's going to win this. I think the only one that I was a bit worried about was probably uh, Covington too, but I don't know why, but I was just a bit worried about that. But um, into the Edwards fight, I just have a weird feeling about this. I don't know what's, I don't know the feeling, but it's just weird. Uh, so I just wanted to get your take on it. And also, do you think this, what do you think happens after? Like, I, I was also just thinking about it today. Like, if Kamaru beats Edwards and is super dominant, what happens after? Like, literally has gone, he's done the division twice. Like, what really happens with him? Does he really do 205? Do you think that's really going to happen? The whole 205 talk. I know he do, definitely doesn't want to do the middleweight and of course my brother Israel is, is busy right now with Pereira so yeah that that welterweight top is just a bit blurry right now so what do you think thanks man yeah I mean 
it would be such an MMA thing to happen if Leon beat Kamaru after all this. It would just would have been a slap in the. It'd just be a slap in the face to everybody who doubted Leon. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty interesting to see. Having said that, I think Kamara is going to win. I don't think he's going to finish Leon Edwards. I think he's going to go out and just kind of do what Kamara does. It's going to look somewhat similar to the first fight. I could see Usman winning like a 49-46 decision, a lot of wrestling, a lot of ground stuff. I just think he's I just think Usman's better than him pretty much everywhere. So I just think I, I think Leon's a good fighter, but I think Usman's going to go out there and just win a decision and on to the next. And that next person, should he be successful September 10th, is Hamza Shamayev. Like that is the biggest fight that Usman could get right now. Like Usman versus Shamayev is bigger than Usman going to 205 and fighting anybody. That is a huge fight. That's one of the big money fights the UFC can make right now. Which is why, and it could have been even bigger, which is why I was the man, the advocate, the man waving the flag of, what are we doing here? Let's just do Shamaya versus Edwards for the interim title. Everybody wins, and then the fight with Usman becomes even bigger. Like, we could be looking forward to Shamaya versus Edwards, or versus Usman on this Salt Lake City card. Or we could be looking at Edwards versus Usman, but Edwards coming off a win over Shamaya, it just would have been way bigger. But... Now we just have to take some more steps to get there. So, yeah, I think Usman beats Edwards, and if he does, and Shemaev does what many people feel he's going to do against Nate, there's your fight, and it's a big-ass fight. Let's go to Milo. Are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Hey, hey Mike, it's a heck of a morning. How are you? It is. <laughs> Good, man. Yeah, you know, I, I think in terms of the Bonicol, you know, they, they will probably, you know, slow roll him. You know, he's obvious talent. Uh, I'm not sure how his uh, wrestling actually is going to translate at a higher level, um, you know, uh, on the UFC scene, you know. and uh, But maybe they will give him a easier, uh, like, a, you know, they will try to build him slowly. Maybe I think in this case, like... Uh, Somebody like Huyazong would could be good. Maybe if he, if he uh, if he does one eighty five, obviously he has a three fight uh, losing skid. But you need to you know obviously give him a winnable opponent. I'm actually more curious to see if possible just a grappling match between him and uh, Makhachev. You know I've been actually advocating for that uh, uh, for a while, and uh, I have a sneaky suspicion that I think Makhachev is going to submit him. Uh, because I don't think he's maybe a better wrestler than Bo Nickel, but I think just in a pure grappling match, you know, inside the cage, I th- I think uh, uh, Makhachev is going to uh, s- submit him uh, easily. That's kind of my uh, my take on that. I think in terms of uh, Kamaru, what's going to happen with Kamaru once he, if he beats um, uh, uh, um, Edwards, I think he's going to <clears throat> vacate the title because I think uh, I don't think he actually wants to fight. My, uh, what's his name? Kamzatchimaev uh, at this point. So I think he's going to vacate the title and uh, try to move up. So that's that's my uh, prediction there. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me sh- uh, speak and uh, have a heck of a morning. Take care. Thanks, man. Yeah, I did, I, my apologies for uh, not reacting to the Bo Nickel thing. Of course, Bo is fighting on the Contender Series next week. Bo is just a super talented dude. He's ridiculous. This guy, his... This guy grappled Gordon Ryan in like his first ever grappling match. 
Like, that's insane. 26, not even near his athletic prime. All of his fights have been finished really quickly. I was at the actual, um, like, during fight week because I had a red eye that left Sunday night into Monday morning after fight week. So I went to the the grappling event on Sunday, and Bo Nickel was part of Mazadal's squad. And he, he grappled Oliver Taza, who has got a ton of experience and is really good. And you could tell Bo was like a little green in some ways, but Bo was like with them. They they went to a draw. So like even in the grappling department, like Bo is obviously the better wrestler, but in terms of just like submission grappling, going the distance with Oliver Taza like that was super impressive. Like he got in some trouble, got out of positions, had some offense of his own. Like I think this guy's going to be a problem. And his striking's really good. For a guy who only has like three three fights, like three actual MMA fights, two AMI and one pro. So I hope they slow roll him again. And I've talked about this before. I kind of wish like they, they would do more developmental deals. Like they did it with Hardy. They did it with William Knight. I mean, Bo could just go out there. Bo could just be just a natural killer. And he might just be like the best fighter ever. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what I think is going to happen, but maybe it is. Maybe he's just the most naturally gifted fighter we've ever seen. That's the case. Like, sign him to a UFC contract to do the damn thing. But I would not hurt my feelings at all. Bo goes out there, gets a win, and they're just like, we're going to keep him on a developmental deal. Let him fight for Icon. Let him fight for Mazadal's promotion. Let him go and fight some of these other guys in other promotions. Just get a little more seasoning, a little more experience. And then, like, when he's 5-0, and 6-0, and you can just bring him right into the UFC. I mean, if you want to throw him back on another Contender Series card to get some viewership, sure, go ahead. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him 5-0, and 6-0 and before he makes his UFC debut. Like, this is a guy you got to not handle with kid gloves, but this is a guy, like, you don't want to rush too fast. Because, I, th- I mean, I really think he's going to be the real deal. But... You just don't be crazy. Don't be crazy. And if Usman doesn't bite Shemayev, like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? It's, it's, it's funny sometimes. And I'm not blaming Usman. Like, Usman's got to be a little bit bored right now at 170. He's just lapping everybody and fighting everybody multiple times. And now Shemayev's on this way up. But you can't have it both ways. You can't say... It's a legacy thing. I'm bored. I want to go to 205. But then also say, I want to go box Canelo. Like, what the hell are you talking about? What? You can't say that because it's a big payday. The biggest money fight he can get right now is with Hamza Shemaev. That is the fight. If Shemaev goes out there and puts the boots to Nate Diaz and Usman beats Edwards, like that is far and away the biggest fight you can make. By a lot. Like, I'm talking, like, by 300,000 pay-per-view buys, probably. What are we doing here? You can't have both. Like, you can't just be like, oh, my legacy is important. But I want to go box Canelo for a floppity jillion dollars. Like, you can't, you can't have both. You could beat Shemayev and then go to 205. Or if you lose to Shemayev, guess what? You get an immediate rematch. And that's going to be even bigger. So the most amount of money he can make right now fighting in the UFC is fighting Shemayev. So there you go. I mean, 205, like, that's just, the whole thing's just wild to me. But then you actually see him face-to-face with, with like, Jan Bohovic, and you're like, damn. 
This is big. He's almost as big as Johnny Blocko is. So I think Shabaya, I, I think he'll end up taking the Shabaya fight. Like if he goes out there and beats a, like after beating Gilbert Burns, like you can't say, well, you got to go beat somebody in the top five. Cause you did, you did. And wasn't the prettiest thing. He didn't go run him over, but he won. He won. And I mean, you got to throw him in a title fight at this point. It just makes too much sense. All right, Emperor. How are you, sir? Howdy. Good morning, Mike. Thank you so much again for having me on. I uh, just wanted to, so I had sure. a question, but I did want to tail off you there with the, um, with the potential of Usman either, you know, going up in a weight class or going to boxing. You know, Uz, or, you know, Usman was training, you know, with Gilbert Burns before the Chemayev fight, right? You know, trying to prepare him for that that individual fight. And it's one of those feelings, right? Like if if Usman does, you know, go up a weight class or, or does go to boxing, it's almost that that feeling that he's simply just ducking Chemayev, right? I mean, that like you said, that is the money fight. That's what all the people want to see. And I think everyone in this in this chat can agree that that's probably the toughest test for Usman, you know, with his throne. But the question I had for you, Mike, um, you know, obviously with the Poirier Chandler fight just announced for UFC 281, uh, still a lot of like, uh, I don't know if speculation is the word, but, you know, a curiousness of of what really is going to be that main event. Of course, you have like the Yuri Prohaska fight with Glover uh, on the table, obviously John Jones, but who knows if he'll be ready for that fight. Um, and, uh, you know, I was curious to ask you, or even the Izzy Pajeda fight, you know, I was curious to ask you um, maybe what your thoughts are and what you think would be uh, a good slot for that for that main card there at MSG in November. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think um, I think they're going to go Izzy Pereira to main events. Jan versus Glover to co-main or not Jan Yuri versus Glover to co-main event. Like that makes perfect sense. Cool story. Pereira and Glover fighting on the same card together, fighting for titles. Like that's that's a cool little story. Izzy headlining in MSG. Yuri fighting at MSG. I mean, that's super cool. And then, you know, if Poirier Chandler is for that card, that's a big deal. Like those two fights, Poirier Chandler, even especially if it's a five rounder, you don't need a whole lot to add to that. But if you want to throw Patty and Molly on there too, you can do that. I mean, that's, I, I thought Ariel actually laid it out pretty, pretty solid on the MMA hour. But I understand where Patty and Molly are coming from as well. There's a lot of taxes. It ain't cheap to fight in New York. It's cool to fight at the Mecca and say you fought at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, the rich lineage and the history that, that building provides. But history don't pay bills. And history sometimes affects your bank accounts. And there's a lot of taxes, a lot of extra fees to fight in New York when Patty and Molly can go to Vegas and get on that December card. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. But if you, I mean, if you do Izzy Pereira, if you do Yuri Glover 2, if you do Poirier Chandler, you don't need a whole hell of a lot after that. You don't. They'll build it. They'll put some, some fun guys on there and we'll see. But those three, I mean, those three fights by themselves do great. You have to expect Burgos is going to fight somebody on that card, and who doesn't want to watch Shane Burgos fight? So there's lots you could do, but those three—if you put those three fights on there and just throw a couple other, you know, interesting matchups, 185, maybe throw Sean Strickland in there against somebody, or who knows? I mean, Strickland is he on the same press conference? I'm sure the UFC would go back to that well in a heartbeat. And then the John Jones thing, like. Again, like, I, and I could be wrong. I have no insights as whatsoever, but this is what I'm feeling. 
That's what I'm, t- that's what I'm feeling deep down in my stomach. We're not going to see John Jones versus Stipe. I don't think we're going to see it. If we were going to see it, I think we would have heard about it by now. I, I know people have been talking about it. I think this thing would have been on the books already. I could be totally wrong. But I also understand where the UFC is coming from here. Because both of these guys have said, we want to fight in September. September works. Let's do it. And it wasn't booked. Now we're getting Diaz Shemayev as the main event, which is fine. It's totally fine to be the main event. Now, yes? Hold on. Rowan's here. Rowan's here? Okay, give me a minute. Thanks, buddy. Live radio, folks. The youngster comes in. Um, anyways, yeah. The, the longer this takes, the more I feel like the UFC is going to wait for Francis. Because the goal of all of this, the ultimate goal is to get to Francis versus John Jones. Now, if we needed to wait extra time because Francis didn't heal up, the contract thing, so forth and so on, then you could pull the trigger on Jones Stipe. It's a very big deal. But I think the fact that we're still waiting, it seems like conversations between Francis' team and the UFC are going pretty well. I feel like they're going to find a happy medium somewhere. I think Francis will end up resigning. And if Francis can come back December or January, then why risk it on Jones Stipe when you could just wait another couple of months and just get the fight you want in the freaking first place? Sucks for Stipe, but we all know what the goal is. We all know what the, the top rung of the ladder is. Francis Ngannou, John Jones. And I think... They'll just wait for it because, I mean, it's, it's August already. But that would suck for Stipe, but I think that's what we're looking at right now. Rips and picks. And then we'll go to Todd, and then we're going to get out of here. Rips, how are you? What's up, Mike? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'll keep it short just like I always do. I, I know that we just brought up uh, Dustin and Poirier um, going up against each other. Man, I'm not a big person to bring Conor McGregor into the conversation, but I was actually at the Arizona card when Michael Chandler had that great knockout over Tony Ferguson, called out McGregor and everything. I mean, probably the call-out of the year. I mean, where do you think McGregor falls in this line now that we got Diaz, Chemayev, probably, you know, Diaz's last fight on the card. Now it's looking like we're going to have Chandler, Poirier. I mean, do you even see McGregor fighting soon at all? It's a good question. I I don't know. Because we just don't – we don't know when – like he's physically going to be able to fight again. You know what I mean? We, we just don't know. Like we don't know when the leg's going to heal up. And with Connor, you never know. He'll be like, oh, I'm going to fight in April. I'll be back in, in six months. I'll be back in eight months. I'll be back in a year. I'll definitely be fighting in 2022. And that's looking super unlikely right now. From all accounts and like people I've talked to over the last few months, like maybe March or April is like positive, like maybe first, early, second quarter, 2022. I mean, that was a gnarly injury that man suffered. So, I mean, obviously he's been, he's been hitting the weights a little bit. He's been putting on a little muscle. So he's just trying to, to get stronger while he awaits this comeback. So, I, I mean, I don't know. He's got options, though. He's freaking Conor McGregor. So to me, if he is going to come back first quarter, 2022 – if Charles Oliveira beats Islam Makachev in October, I really think that's what the UFC is going to do. They're going to book that fight. Makes no sense, but they're going to go ahead and do it anyways and try to get a box office out of it. Nate will be gone, but who knows? Maybe cooler heads will prevail and they bring him back. Uh, 
And then Chandler and Poirier, like either, no matter what happens there, Chandler wins or loses, Poirier wins or loses. You can go back to either, you can go to that. There's Justin Gaethje, who might be fighting Fazeev next. At least that's what I would like to see. Gaethje can fight you. I mean, there's so many ways you can go with this. Mazadal is very interested in that fight as well. I don't know. He's got plenty of options. There's many big fights that he could have. But I think, honestly, if Charles Oliveira beats Islam Akachev, that's going to be the first choice for the UFC. Give Conor that fight. Give Charles that rub. He deserves it. But he's got lots of options and lots of potential big fights. Todd, send us home, my man. Just make sure you're on mute. I appreciate, uh, apologize. Um, I don't know if this is off topic or not. I just joined from a meeting. But um, do you actually think Sean O'Malley has a chance when it comes to, you know, competing with uh, Peter Yan? I like the question. We have not talked. Listen, this is a free-for-all Friday. We talk about everything here. And if we're really honest with ourselves, all of the shows are like this. We just talk about everything anyways. Um, I think Sean O'Malley does have a chance to win this fight. There's a couple of different factors for that. One, the dog wants to get involved in the show. Um, one, the range of Sean O'Malley is a very dangerous thing. Two, Sean is a, or Pierre is kind of a slow starter, but not in like the Donald Cerrone sense. He's a slower start. Pierre's in a, a slower starter in terms of, all right, I need to take this first round to compile information, land shots of my own, but I'm still trying to like figure out movements, what you're trying to do, maybe figure out your game plan. And all that. And when Piotr Jan fights somebody who stays at range and tries to kickbox with him, he either like he either hangs in there for like a really close round or he might lose the first round. So to me, like for Sean O'Malley just being in this position right now, and I know from a stylistic perspective, because of the range and how tall he is and how long he can be and how rangy he can be, and like I know that there is a path to victory there. However, at least the way I look at this, Sean O'Malley's best chance to win is just to do what Pantoja did on Saturday. Like, we're not going to wait around. We're not going to circle around each other and have a kickboxing match. No. Sean O'Malley needs to get shot out of a friggin' cannon and get right in Piotr Jan's face and hit this man with everything he has. Just unload the tank in that first round. Make Piotr super uncomfortable. Keep him guessing. And one of two things is going to happen. One you're going to win the round or two, you're going to win the fight. Like you're just going to overwhelm him. Now I'm not saying this strategy is going to lead to guaranteed victory, but what it will lead to is that his stock rises either way. If he goes out there and lights Piotr Jan up in that first round, makes him really uncomfortable and then hangs with Jan for the next 10 minutes. And it's a close decision loss. His stock rises hundred percent. It rises. And if he beats Piotr Jan, holy shit. Like, that's gigantic. Gigantic. The sky's the limit. Bank account's going to get fatter. Like, he's good to go. But if he goes out there, like, if he's just competitive in this fight. Now, if he goes out there and just tries to play kickboxing and have a range striking match with Piotr Jan, like, Piotr's going to figure that out eventually. He's going to take him down. He's going to smush him. And that's not good. Like, that's not good. And that doesn't do much for Sean Stock. So just go out there and make this a fun-ass fight. 
Just make it a fun fight. Win or lose, your stock's going to rise. That's the way I look at it. But I think Sean, in multiple ways, has a chance. I'm leaning Piotr Jan, but if we see Sean O'Malley come out and pant with the Pantoja game plan that I'm not going to let you get going at all, I'm not going to make you comfortable, jump street, it's going to get real interesting. And that would be a fun-ass fight. And this has been a fun show, everybody. Thank you very much. I appreciate the, you listening to the stories. I appreciate all the questions about MMA and beyond. Again, go check out my chat with Gamebred Jorge Mazdal. Apparently, Hamza Shemaev has chimed in about uh, some of Mazdal's thoughts about Mr. Shemaev. So, yeah, go check that stuff out. Thank you for listening. We're going to have a preview show for UFC Vegas 59. I almost forgot that card's happening because it's, uh, it's a card. Because, oh, that, I, I meant to say, someone's like, oh, the UFC San Diego card is one of the worst cards. This one, um, this one tomorrow's not. Uh, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. But uh, it's not spectacular. Let's just be honest. The co-main event rules. And the main event has potential to be not terrible. But Tiago Santos has just not been all that exciting to watch as of late. And he's just got this inane ability to not be in fun fights with really exciting guys. And maybe that's a, a credit to him. But you give me a whole bunch of Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal. I'm all excited about that. So uh, we will have a preview show talking about that. Uh, I believe it's at 2.30 Eastern on the YouTube channel. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll have a people's pre-fight show tomorrow. We'll have all your post-fight stuff as, as well. We'll have on to the next one on Sunday. So, And I'm going to be heading out to uh, check out some MMA today. Uh, going to go to the Icon FC4 card. I'm very excited to just, you know, cover and just watch and take in more of a regional feel, feeling kind of a, of an MMA event. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that, and uh, I'm very excited for it. So have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, everybody, have a heck of a morning. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.